everyone, welcome to another episode of CyberView. Here we discuss what's new in tech and cybersecurity industry. Your hosts are Frida, Carlos, and myself, Gerald. So in today's episode, we'll discuss a couple key topics that recently have happened in the industry. So firstly, we'll talk about Las Vegas casinos being hit with the ransomware attack. The big question is, what happens when you gamble with the data? Then we'll talk about why modern cars are a data privacy nightmare and a concern that we should be aware of. Then we'll dig down into why X is looking to collect biometric data and should you give the permission to do so, formerly known as Twitter. And lastly, but not least, we'll talk about ChatGPT enterprise version release, which finally has taken place. So high stakes drama has unfolded in Las Vegas over recent couple of weeks with two major um, casinos being hit with a ransomware attack. So it, it all started with social engineering attack, apparently, and that's what we publicly know. So we'll dig down deeper and talk a bit uh, more about the attacks that happened, how it happened, and the key takeaways we can look to take away from it. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened before because, you know, slot machines and in, in many of the, the gambling devices within casinos are computers. And exactly like you, like you said, Gerald, this is unfortunately uh, nothing new. It does seem to be a result of social engineering. And as you know, I'm, I'm an IT manager. I, I work in IT and this is the reason why I very much focus on cybersecurity in this profession because when you hold all the the keys to the kingdom, you're you're the most uh, susceptible of you know getting giving this information away and then th this this occurring. So that is what they suspect happened is that um, MGM's IT staff were tricked or social engineered into giving away their credentials or uh, installing malicious software. I don't think that they have that um, totally con confirmed by MGM or authorities, but. Yeah, it's it's nothing new. Um, it's just a huge cost and so much time went went into this. And it, again, there's there's a risk here. You know, whether you're going to pay the ransom or not. If, like you said, Gerald, if that's going to actually work out for you. Um, yeah. And the route that MGM went with authorities, I think. It, it didn't. It didn't seem to be quite as effective as Caesar's just paying the ransom, right, and getting their stuff decrypted and restored. Yep. And that's not entirely surprising because I think, like we said last talk, uh, authorities, you know, the police also greatly struggle with ransomware and protection against it. But extremely in-depth topic, very interesting. Uh, I think obviously we we can only. Um, sort of play with the information has been publicly given, but we do know that neither Caesars or MGM publicly uh, sort of commented around this too much. But as you said, uh, we saw the outages that MGM suffered, which obviously means that's millions and millions of dollars lost in revenue and, you know, customers not being able to gain access to their rooms, the slot machines not working, customers not being able to take the winnings away and, you know, a bunch of other things that occurred because of that particular breach in social engineering. So, um, Carlos, what, what do you think? Perhaps we can even dig down to the actual social engineering that took place, which between 
both Caesars and MGM, there's some similarities because both occur due to social engineering, human error, and and whatnot. So not nothing too clever, no uh, no ransomware software being planted somewhere. It's actually very simple, right? So um, especially where the hackers came out and they said with the MGM, apparently it took them what about ten minutes, right, to gain access to um, to MGM's um, data. So Carlos. Yeah, on that side, I mean, there are two main things that we need to take into account. First of all, the procedural things, and then the security things. On the technical side of things, uh, if even if I'm like the manager, even if I have the the as uh, we were discussing, like the the keys of the kingdom, I shouldn't be able to access everything with my single master account. There should always be a segmentation because I mean, come on, you get access to a database, and from there. You can also have access to the rooms. You can also have access to the slot machines. You, yep. to, you can also have access to the ATM, to the parking lot. That's a complete uh, lack of segmentation on the network. And that's one of the biggest issues that uh, a lot of companies, not only these casinos have. Uh, if you have a very well-segmented network, then, okay, yeah, you uh, use uh, ransomware uh, malware on my, let's say, databases. But my operations are still ongoing because you are only uh, encrypting a very small portion of my databases or system infrastructure or whatever you call it. And on the other hand, we have the procedural things. Uh, for example, as you mentioned, yeah, you need to contact the FBI, you need to contact your local authorities. And most of the time, they will determine what you should do. Uh, in some cases, for example, uh, in the colonial pipeline hack that happened a couple of years ago, uh, they contacted the FBI and because it was a very sensitive uh, uh, infrastructure, physical infrastructure, they decided, you know what, pay them. We don't have any any way of, of uh, knowing that they are going to unblock this, this uh, uh, infrastructure, but it's our best bet. Later on, the FBI managed to, to track where this, uh, this uh, Bitcoin uh, ransomware uh, was and they actually uh, ended up taking back most of the money. So mm. yeah, first step, always contact the authorities. They will tell you what to do. Uh, we don't have a lot of information right now what what happened on the MGM or Caesars, uh, but most likely on the Caesars, they were like, you know what, pay them. We we are not entirely sure if we are going to be able to help you right now. So if you don't want to keep losing money pay them. And on the MGM, my, my bet was that uh, most likely they had some kind of contingency plan. Okay, yeah, we're going to lose money a couple of days, but we will manage to, to get back in business. So that's one of the big, biggest uh, ways that the FBI can tell you, you know what, do this or that. Is, is it a valid argument uh, relying on the reputation of, uh, of the hackers? I mean, because obviously the reason that other companies pay is because of that claim saying that the attackers, they'll give up the information. They're not going to go after you as well again, because obviously they rely on that reputation for companies to continue paying. But in a way, this is, you know, negotiating with, with so-called terrorists, right? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, that's the that's... huge risk. 
Yeah. Um, I, I really want to go back to something that Carlos said more immediately because it actually felt painful when I said it about, well, yeah, IT has all the, the keys to the kingdom, right? And that's the opposite of how I work for a reason. And it's exactly what Carlos is pointing to. I mean, not only the proactive part of internet security and just segmenting the network actually probably um, would have avoided this altogether, like putting casino machines on their their own network and not the same company. Yep. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, proactive things like that you can do in IT security. But more to your your point, one person or one team should not own access to everything. And that is a really foreign concept still. I've been working in IT for almost a decade now, and I'm still having to come into companies and make this clear that although I, you know, I'm capable, IT is capable of handling all these things. And at the end of the day, we do handle infrastructure. And that's a lot when you think about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, if the onus for separate systems actually should be more on the expertise within the teams themselves. IT should be responsible for making sure that people know what a strong password is and that multi-factor authentication is actually into place. And uh, I do wonder, I hope I hope we get more information on exactly what happened here because yep. I presume that would have MFA would have been in, in place, you know, but so some someone got like probably very heavily socially engineered. And perhaps Absolutely. this is this is in tie with our last talk where it's like chat GPT and AI is very good at writing phishing emails now. Yep. It's very good at social but, but This is to outline to probably to the listeners here as well that the apparently what happened with the social engineering itself, what we mean by that was that the hackers, they they basically did the simple LinkedIn search, um, found an employee at MGM and called the IT center, pretended to be that employee. Obviously, it's probably a lot more under the hood how they managed to do that. But apparently called in, they got access. Um, but it's interesting to me because I think it points out even um, further resilience issues, right? Cyber resilience that the, the company did not have. Because in my mind is if someone calls you and pretends to be you know, Carlos, this is Gerald, you know, I need to access something. You, you'd say, yeah, great, log in through your usual methods or maybe share something with Gerald as you would normally do through with password management or, you know, giving access and obviously then uh, Zero Trust Network would be set up and then some sort of biometric login would be required. So to me, it's mind-boggling still, even with that social engineering side of things, I, I think it just outlines so many issues um, that we're laying there besides just the social engineering side. So I don't know, maybe there's some silver lining as well for the, for the industry to understand, look, we need to take this very seriously to outline how, in a way, it could be simple, to, especially in large organizations, right, to pretend to be someone um, and call in because no one really knows everyone, right? So, yeah. For real. So just, and that's why it has I mean, to be proactive and not reactive, because because you're right. This is this is what it looks like. You're you're okay until you're very not okay. Yeah. So all of those weaknesses that are present just from one exploitation all come together just a hacker's dream, you know, especially in this situation. So if yeah. you want to be if you want to be pedantic, I mean just create a change management procedure. 
Oh, you want me to change your password? Great. Create a ticket. Yep. Okay. End of story. <laughs> yeah, it slows, slows down things, but that's a corporate environment. In a way, that's what the rules are for, especially as the company grows tremendously. Yeah, you need those processes where it does seem like, obviously, the process will take a bit longer to resolve things, but that's the, what the resilience is all about. It's so true. That, then that's a, that's a consequence of moving too fast, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, you have to set a lot of boundaries in IT. And that's something that I, the first thing I do at a company is we don't have a ticketing system, get one, right? Because you can only yeah. rely on, I mean, you have email, right? But it's it's interesting explaining to companies why email or like ClickUp or a project management system is not a ticketing system. Uh, absolutely, Frida. So I'd say the takeaway, the big takeaway here as well is for companies that are growing very fast, could it be startups, um, you name it, right? Make sure you go through that somewhat corporate required structure, restructuring in a way as quick as possible to make sure to have ticketing system, to make sure you have full resilience in place as well, especially how do you comprehend when something happens. So it's often forgotten and not enough focus is put into it. And people will, a lot of times will buy back saying, well, this slows down things, uh, how we normally operate, but that's what you need to do. Better than losing um, millions or billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, better one month late than three days without service. Right. So the car you're driving might be a privacy nightmare. So we all drive modern cars. Well, many of us uh, do. So if you do, you should pay extra attention to this because we're going to cover a very interesting report done by Mozilla. So all the brands, uh, major brands in this industry being analyzed, at 25 brands, including likes of Tesla and Volkswagen and BMW, you name it. And every single one of them failed the standard that Mozilla set for, for the security. So at a glance, all the, bland, all the brands collected personal information and more data than you might imagine, even your photographs on the phone. So let's talk about this and understand what is happening and, and what takeaways we should take away from this. This is really serious and alarming. Um, you know, a lot of companies do this, right? And I know that we're going to be discussing another topic, another person who is also doing this with a platform called X. But uh, when it comes to modern cars, uh, it looks like they're they're taking just all of the data that they they possibly can. like it's it's so much worse than most of the data farming that we see normally. So like Instagram and all that kind of stuff, which we know is free for a reason, right? Honestly, we should be paying them $20 a month and not the other way around. But um, it's it's of great con- concern, uh, this report. Mozilla is an organization that has an awesome reputation. I love the fact that they're, they're open source, nonprofit. They run through these reports. Um, I would focus on consumers and how to protect yourself as a consumer. So now it's like you have to understand the privacy policies of the car brand that you're you're buying. Um, first of all, you do have more capability than you might think with the car itself. So you can adjust the settings 
You can limit the the devices that are connected to it. You don't have to connect everything to it. I would recommend using a VPN or some kind of encryption service to secure uh, the the data between the car and the internet, right? Because, and I know this sounds really pessimistic, but it just seems like you're you're in a spy machine. Like, there's so much that can be taken from you that you you don't know about. The very nature of self-driving cars are cameras everywhere, right? And in, in recordings. Um, so very interesting co- topic. Uh, I'd love to hear what, what Carlos and, and Gerald think. On one hand, there's a lot of data that is going around uh, anywhere. I mean, no matter if you're in your car or your home, the thing is that we need to to make sure, as you said, like how may, how much data we are willing to give to these companies and where this data is, where this data is, what this, this data is going to be used for. I mean, yeah, some people call it uh, this uh, type of uh, new cars, kind of like uh, spyware on wheels, you know. Uh, the thing is that uh, most people don't start to, to stop to realize that, for example, they have Alexa and they have Google Assistant. I mean, it's practically the same thing instead of on wheels, it's in your house. And they also gather a lot of data and we are willing to keep this data for some reason. Uh, on my personal case, I don't have any of those devices because I don't trust where this data is going to go to. Uh, but it's you need to put into balance. A lot of people uh, are willing to sacrifice their privacy in order to have a little bit more of uh, comfort in their lives. So I don't think it's it's good to say, okay, this is completely wrong or this is completely right. What I think it's uh, good for the consumers to be completely informed of what they are doing, where this data is going. And then from there, you can make an informed decision if you want to give this data or not. Some people are like, whatever, I don't care if you know where I am. If I don't care if you if you listen to me or you know who I am. I just want to drive a new car. Uh, same thing with Alexa, same thing with Google Assistant. Some other people don't like that. So you need to make an, a decision based on this, but you need to know it beforehand. This is a uh, huge absolutely. can of worms. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is so huge. And I keep running into this with people where they're like, oh, my data is already compromised. So I don't care, right? But I don't think to your point that people are fully informed just how much their data is being compromised and by whom and how. I think that's that's what it is. A lot of people assume, especially here in the US, right? So most people drive some sort of um, smart integrated cars. And by smart integrated, we could be talking about um, Apple Play and all of that when we connect our phones via Bluetooth, uh, USBs, and, and you name it. Um, you know, in my mind, the first thing that uh, I would imagine that the car company would be collecting is to do with my location, maps, and you know the, how fast I'm going, all of that. So it kind of makes sense in a way, right? And uh, to your point, Carlos, um, this is something that I'm in a way willing to provide in order to get those benefits. However, I find from this Mozilla report, what's alarming is realization what type of data is being collected, as you mentioned, for as well. And in that report, it's been outlined that even photos, um, of course, like you have contacts and all that because you need to share those in order to have contact lists on, on your on your vehicle. 
but access to your apps on a phone, um, to your own history, medical data, um, mm -hmm. photographs, it, it, that obviously is mind-boggling because when you think about it, why would a car manufacturing company would need to collect that type of data? But as we saw in the report that um, most of the companies that have been analyzed in the report out of the 25, so 84% out of 25, actually do share and sell your data. And over 50% of them, they'll willingly share that data with government organizations as well. So that type of data is, is a, being aware that pretty much everything that is on your phone can be collected when you connect. And obviously, normally, yeah, with, with car manufacturers as well, you don't have no security measures. So I think, for, as I mentioned, yeah, making sure at least you use VPN to, to protect that network in a way. But um, I think the biggest thing is understanding that by default, when you connect your phone, all those settings are going to be turned on. Um, that's what the car manufacturers want to do. They want you to provide the data to them. So you need to be actively going into the settings and disabling the things that you wouldn't deem necessary for that manufacturer to collect. Uh, X, uh, like Twitter, right? Musk. And I think there's some, uh, there's some connection because one of the worst offenders out of these car manufacturers, according to the report, is actually Tesla. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and Tesla, obviously, with Musk talking about AI and, and, and investing heavily into um, AI and data analytics, understanding that's where the future is rightfully heading towards. To all the companies, in a way, we're talking in that type of management circle is aware of that, and collecting as much data as possible. You know, with Tesla uh, in particular here. So, to me, there's probably it was. Very surprising report where I knew that is this is happening, but now it makes me a lot more more aware. And I never actually even even work in the cybersecurity industry when I collect connect my phone. I never thought about it. You know what you said, Carlos? Yeah, like I for the same reason I don't use Alexa or a, any of those smart home devices for that same reason. But for some reason, when I'm in my vehicle. I forget that completely because I'm just thinking about the advantages of being able to remote connect my phone to, to the vehicle and be able to use the maps and Spotify and everything. And, you know, the kind manufacturer being able to collect the songs you play and understand your habits as well, it's going beyond the likes of, in a way, Facebook and the data they could gather from you to understand who you are, your your identity. I think car, car manufacturers now, judging by this report, they'll probably have the most valuable data in a way out of pretty much um, everyone, right? In terms of collecting as many data points around you, ranging from A to Z. This is, this is insane. And just to add a little bit more into that, uh, a lot of cars do have this option to enable or disable this, but not all of them. And that's mm -hmm. a very important point. You have the right to request to remove this, but you need to go to the car dealership, you need to make an appointment, they need to change the firmware. It's a very long process and very painful for the consumer. So most people yeah. are like, you know what, whatever, keep it. So they yeah. made it this way because they don't want you to opt out from this. I was just going to uh, say, it's the, almost like they're doing that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I said the worst thing is that we don't really know what security measures are being implemented by those companies. Like we know they collect the data. Now we know they sell that data. But there are two, two major points to be taken away from that as well beyond all of this already is 
what security measures are being implemented. I think the government and and um, and certain organizations need to look into that as well to make sure that there's security measures in place. Because I think this could be the type of industry that often been overlooked, at least publicly, there's nothing to understand that it is being focused on. And then secondly is because of those lack of security measures, potentially, what happens if that data is getting breached? We talked about MGM, Caesar. In a way, that's that that's a, that type of data. Of course, there potentially was some security, social security numbers affected, all of that. But here, this is the all of the data about your identity, who you are uh, as a person. So it could be more valuable to whoever buys that data or to hackers than than anything else. Absolutely. Yeah, they're looking. X, formerly known as Twitter. Now they got their eyes on collecting your biometric data, job and educational history. So they want to become a very massive player in social network itself. They already launched a um, government ID for paid users verification. So they are, we understand they collect that. But of course, now they're looking to collect more and more data. Where do you draw the line? Where do you stop? Not sure, but let's dig down. Let's discuss how does that affect us? Is there a way for us to take our data back? Well, as always in anything related to cybersecurity, I think this is a double-edged sword. There's a good thing on this and there's a bad thing on this. On the good side, uh, well, X or Twitter, as a lot of people still know it, like, um, there has a very big, it has a very big, big problem related to criminal activity. Um, there's a lot of uh, people selling stolen goods. There's a lot of people sharing uh, prohibit, prohibited content on it, on this platform. And there's not enough uh, censorship on it because, well, that's one of the main points that uh, Elon Musk wanted to bring here. No censorship whatsoever. So again, it's on the good side is that now you, in order to get an X account, you will need to have uh, like a foolproof who you are. And if you are doing some uh, illegal activity, then it's going to be very easy to track where are you and what are you doing with that. On the other hand, we are not entirely sure what type of data is going to be collected, where this data is going to be collected, what will happen if this data got leaked. And also based on that, let's uh, uh, jump in a little bit back into what we were discussing before with the cars. Uh, if this data that is on the cars gets leaked and is used to get a, an account on the X platform, what will happen? I mean, anyone can create an account on my behalf, use it for illegal activity, and then the police will be tracking me, will be going towards me. So uh, it's, it's a very slippery slope, uh, depending on what on what size you want to take it. But uh, as always, at least on on, on my personal opinion, Whatever uh, Elon Musk wants to do, I always take it with a grain of salt. There's a lot of things that he wants to do. There's a lot of things that he wants to create, but not all of those uh, end up uh, actually happening. So uh, I don't know what what you guys think about it. Just, just like a very good one saying this because I've heard it. I want to give it to you, but I just I wanted to say something. Uh, it's not when it's going to be collected. Uh, according to the policy change, it goes into effect today. So. It is being collected, all the biometric data. So um, the big day is today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> How awesome that we're all here. Let's so, let me delete it right now. 
Yeah, exactly. So Carlos, you say, take take anything he does with a grain of salt. I I am the salt. I'm a pillar of salt about this. I, uh, yes. So to your point, Elon Musk has a really big problem because he allowed no censorship on his platform. He's a bunch of Nazis, like just a ton of people, you, you, you know, that um, has driven all of his advertisers away. Right. Because advertisers don't really want to represent Nazis on their platform. For instance, I'm just using them. There's plenty of bad people in the world. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so because of that, and I know we all know this, but just to make this very clear and obvious, he's doing this because he's he's trying to get advertisers back. He's doing anything he can. He's like, look, I know I let Nazis on the platform, but I'll sell you everyone's data. How about that? Like everything, you know? So I warned you, I am, I am, I am very salty about, about this topic. <laughs> and I think especially with the talk on Tesla too, it's just like, you gotta, he's gotta chill out a little bit. You gotta. I'll, I'll be it, devil's it, advocate. <laughs> I'll be devil's advocate here. Um, X is not lo- looking to do anything different than most of the companies are already doing, right? So for instance, um, like obviously we can talk about data collection around biometrics itself. That's slightly different, but we got likes of LinkedIn. They already have our data that is more powerful than CV going back into job searches, history, everything, that professional data that we have. So in my mind, ads is merely looking to do something that um, LinkedIn is already doing. So they are looking to be competitors to LinkedIn. So that's what Musk and X and, and the leadership there is, is potentially, I assume, looking to do is for them to become that one hub where people will go for everything that you would normally do in Twitter for everything that you potentially normally do on Facebook. And then, of course, for tweeting all of that as well. So I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying I'm not surprised. And all of it is already out there in the public. And if Twitter, sorry, X, they try to collect data around my employment, around my education, all of that, I'll just end up copying that from LinkedIn and pasting. So in a way, it's already public data. Well, we should talk about LinkedIn next time then. That should be our topic (laughs) next time. (laughs) Because I do think... So you're right. You're right. Yes. And I know that my altruism actually is sometimes impossible, if not annoying. But um, yes. uh, And to, to your point, though, like what happened earlier with MGM, that that's exactly how they got the IT people's information. Just there's so many, uh, and their number in their email, there's so many services, yeah. recruiting tools, right? That will just take that information from LinkedIn. I could I could get anyone's, it's, it's concerning. Um, but yes, you're correct. LinkedIn is notorious for that, but I don't like that either. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. practically uh, back in the, on the like dark ages of Facebook. I don't know, you remember when everything was public, you couldn't hide anything. It's practically the same, but on the professional way. And you can't, and yeah, not only you can't, but you don't want to hide anything because you want to be like the next uh, work influencer superstar, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. It's only recently that we we started realizing how valuable that data is. And I, I personally think that if people would personally get paid for that selling of the data, most people would probably be fine as well. Oh, you're telling me I'm going to get 50 bucks a month? from doing nothing and because someone's selling my data somewhere so I could get direct advertising to me, 
I reckon most people would actually be fine with that. Um, so maybe it's just a flaw in the system. Um, but yeah, like I said, um, with this, I'm not surprised with the data collection. Um, I think what's interesting is with the biometric data collection itself, because I think there's so many unanswered questions because they're not really giving answers how the data is going to be collected, how the data is going to be used. But apparently they did say that you will be able to go to settings and turn it off in terms of them being able to to share, collect that data fully. So I think that would be the, the advice and takeaway for me, because I think the scariest thing from all of this, and to me is probably only one, is basically what you kind of said is with vendors being able to collect the data, biometric data, potentially sell it and you name it, that means someone would be able to go on my behalf and create and even create biometric identity itself and be able to use that where I then would potentially fail to log in myself I'm not sure, but I think industry is also now slightly um, biased against Elon Musk because of all the controversial things he's doing. He's not reinventing the wheel. Um, other corporations have been doing this for a long time and just that we kind of moved away from it. You know, Facebook was a big talk. Um, I mean, time is flying was that a couple of years, uh, years back. Um, but yeah, it's just been happening in the industry. This is just uh, the most recent story around it. Um, but I think we should be a lot more focused around protecting the data altogether. And if it's already out there, it's not going to get worse for you. ChatGBT Enterprise is here. So OpenAI, the company behind ChatGBT, finally released the enterprise version of the product. They say it's going to be more secure for the businesses. They'll say uh, that the businesses will now be able to hold their own data and that data will not be used to analyze and improve the ChatGBT tool. Will that actually happen? How that look, especially for the businesses? Let's dive down deeper and look into this. Yes, uh, I'd like to start by talking about what enterprise grade means. So... Most simply, in IT, in a corporate environment, let's say that uh, you're using, let me see, there's so many thousands of applications I can I can choose. Um, you're using Microsoft Word, right? Or Microsoft Office in your company environment. And then you realize that there is no actual company account. You bought an individual license. Uh, that technically means that you're not a part of an enterprise application. You're not in you're not recognized as being behind something called SSO. So SSO is single sign-on, right? And there's many um, I think more competitors now than just one login in Okta, but Okta is the leading IDP and SSO application. As IT and security, the thing I try to do is put all of these applications behind this SSO umbrella, right? Or um this this IDP. So making a piece of software enterprise grade actually has a lot that goes into it. Unfortunately, a lot of it is cost. These companies say, okay, you want to be secure or you want to be behind Okta, great. This is how much it's going to gonna cost like per, per seat. And then you have this ability for SSO. Also to explain SSO in a different way, just in layman's terms, using Facebook or Instagram for logging into certain applications or Google. And so you're just using one Usually, one password for everything. It also means that you will be behind an MFA wall. You will forcibly be having to use MFA once IT puts this behind Okta. So as you can imagine, 
there's many advantages to having a piece of software become enterprise great. Um, mostly from a legal perspective, it tends to be what I'm concerned with, you know, data protection and privacy. Uh, that's where we need to be careful. Um, especially with AI, because we know that the, you know, the content that it's been generating and some of the decisions that it has made have have not been ethical. They they haven't been accurate. There's already lawsuits against you know <laughs> whatever <laughs> for for these inaccuracies. And so just understanding that um, just because something's enterprise grade doesn't necessarily mean that it's better or more accurate. I would still take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, realize that at the end of the day, humans. Uh, you need to value authenticity and make sure that that's not going away and that we're analyzing everything that, you know, this chatbot is saying and not just taking it as truth. Yeah, and to continue on that side, being an enterprise, and so, yeah, of course, they will say, your data is secure, we are not going to share it, we are not going to use it for uh, uh, for training our new bot. But the data that is already there, we still have the same issue that we have with the regular ChatGPT. Right. We don't know where this data is coming from. We don't know if this data is accurate. We don't know if this data has uh, some kind of copyright and we are going to be using it anyway on an enterprise level. So it can bring a lot of issues, legal, legal issues to any company that is going to use it on the enterprise level. So yeah, you need to, as you mentioned, taking it with a grain of salt, and you need to be, as a human, using ChatGPT, uh, be aware that everything that is uh, being generated by this has to be uh, going through a filter that is you, that is your legal team, that is your PR, that is your um, uh, any person that is, is uh, willing to just look around and then, you know what, let's not go this way because we don't know where this code is coming from. We don't know where this uh, text is coming from, so on and so forth. I, I think that the release of ChatGPT and the price, it was obviously um, imminent. And in a way, if business is already using ChatGPT, I think it's a, it's a positive move forward because ultimately, if you're going to be using it, at least use something that where there could be slightly more protection than initially, especially, yes, for you to own that data and also for that data not to be analyzed uh, for the improvement of ChatGPT tools itself. At least that's what OpenAI is promising. Um, so, you know, it's probably still better because ultimately, yes, it's companies when they decide to use ChatGPT tools itself, if it's not developed in-house, which again, smaller companies probably uh, cannot or do not have resources to do so, they will be using something to at least use something where, you know, the security measures are still better, maybe not perfect or ideal as you guys have mentioned, so it is still a positive move. To me, the big thing here is that raises eyebrows is the biggest competitor of ChatGPT is being Microsoft, right? Bing in particular. And Microsoft is the biggest um, investor in, in ChatGPT, owns, I believe, it was around 49% of the organization. So now we have two big players in a market in terms of uh, OpenAI itself. And they both kind of on the same boat. So that raises eyebrows, you know, with how they operate, how, how is it going to be advantageous to the customers in terms of the competition? Because you end up being 
you know, with one or the other, most likely, and and they both provide the same thing, kind of working towards the same um, goals and wallets and leadership and whatnot. So apparently they both claim that they're not looking to compete against each other and chat GPT is saying their leadership is completely separate and they'll just do whatever is needed to advance their products and make sure that business can business continue using it and growing. But I think that's the the eyebrow raising moment for sure. Yeah, that sounds like Monopoly, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> that's exactly what that sounds like. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I've been using Bing more so myself as a consumer lately. Uh, I've, I've noticed since ChatGPT came out with, um, you know, the, the, the payment model that it perhaps may have gone down in quality, perhaps. I think the big thing here is it is relatively new. And I think um, OpenAI, they they said with the release of ChatGPT Enterprise over the next weeks since the release, they'll be looking to onboard businesses and um, get them to use Enterprise. So I think that there's going to be more to the story um, as we see more companies using it to see, is it really um, better? Does that protect the company data better? Um, can we... Obviously, I think legally, that's what I'm thinking. Legally, as you mentioned, Carlos, as well, um, can we tick the boxes to make sure that it is um, comprehensive, we can utilize that data effectively, and especially when you when that data gains access to your CRM systems, your custom information, and certainly now you have GDPR in play and, and all of the uh, security measures as well in terms of compliance, is that's where the eyebrows are being raised. And, and how effective is it going to be or is it going to be compliant? I think that's the the big question for many, especially larger organizations that operate in, let's say, in Europe. And yeah, and this is a very like sketchy thing. It's a gray area because uh, you are not really sharing the data with uh, like uh, third party organizations, but you are, but you're not really. So it's kind of like in the middle point, you are not actually offloading this data but you are using this data in a process somewhere else. So yep. is it this uh, data processor? Is this this uh, data storage somewhere else? Like what is happening with this data? Where it will fall, like in the GDPR, in the HIPAA compliance, and any PCI compliance and so on and so forth. It's, it's a very interesting topic on the legal side of things. It's a, such it a massive really thing in the industry and it's so new that no one really knows yet how to handle it. Uh, I, I believe so. Yeah, because it is such a gray area. It it truly is complex because you're, yeah, like like you said earlier, Carlos and, and Gerald, it's all the, all the, the way that ML models work is based off all of the data that's already there that we've already put in and there's there's no other way it could. Um, I'm curious, yeah, from a legal perspective, how things will be handled. It's it's extremely complex. Uh, for instance, and this is probably very much answered, but I'm I'm curious with um because Bing has Dolly, right? And you can create images, but you're not allowed to use those for corporate use. Um, with the enterprise version of these applications, I presume that they will start allowing that. Like you can start using, you know, art for for business use. And I just wonder how quickly that will improve. Cause right now I can very much tell the people that are using AI as like mm -hmm. their um, professional portrait on LinkedIn, for example. Um, it's just always fun to see people with like blurred fingers and like weird 
kind of um, lizard people eyes. <laughs> As you can tell, it's like overlaid. But um, super, super interesting, you know, and maybe I should not open this can of worms, but it does go back to um, Elon Musk. I hate, to, <laughs> I, hate <to> bring, <laughs> I hate to bring this up again, but uh, there, there was the push, you know, and he, he may not be the only person that has said this, but it's like, oh, when AI comes out, it's going to be taking your jobs. And this is the revolution. Right. So it's super fascinating the way in which we've decided to kind of um, implement that already in, in terms of the, the writer's strike, the Hollywood strike. Right. That's yep. not exactly how I thought we would be using AI more immediately. Like there's some much better use cases than that. But uh, I think that's what's what's so fascinating and why it's so key to remain authentic and just question all the information that this this bot is giving you because it's very useful in some ways, but just hilariously it false in others. But I, I think that's a big, big uh, takeaway also where with the enterprise version of ChatGPT, the data that's being collected is not going to be used apparently to improve the ChatGPT tools, right? So in a way, it becomes slightly counterproductive to what ChatGPT is. I'm not arguing one way or the other way is better, but in a way, we all rely on the constant improvement of ChatGPT tools. And certainly if the businesses will be excluded from that, on the business side of things, on the corporate side of things, the ChatGPT might fall behind compared to the consumer side of things where the Every personal uh, data that's being collected right on the business side, it'll be used to improve the chat GPT tool itself. I'm not saying again whether it should or it shouldn't, but it seems like it could potentially slow the process down where at the moment is it's good, but obviously it's not ideal. And we're still probably years behind in terms of the type of data it should collect and be able to analyze in order to be the best version of itself. Where if it gets to that stage again, that's obviously a different topic and certainly we we're entering scary grounds. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Sure. Thank you, everyone. That's it for today's episode. It was brought to you by Nord Security. Cyberview is a recurring series, so we are excited to have you on our next episode. So stay tuned. Mm -hmm.